A new coordinated strike is never late. It arrives precisely when it means to. Welcome back. Much like Carter, we are here for you. It is another coordinated strike, and I, as always, am your host, Joe, as we go through the trials and tribulations of waiting for this baby to get birthed. So, while we're waiting, let's go ahead and talk some more rules. Um, we had a nice discussion last time about tactics tokens, and today I want to get uh, a little more basic, a little more into the grunge of the rules. I want to talk first off about the Fate deck, uh, your control hand, uh, how the Jokers work in this particular game, and then I want to get down and dirty with the mechanics of the duel. And once we are familiar with how those work, I want to get into making good decisions within those duels uh, by making sure we're understanding and uh, getting the nuance of the combat math in this brave new uh, world that is the other side, because it's very different from most of the games that you've played, because one, you are actively making decisions offensively and defensively all the time. And when you do that, you are trading resources that will not be available to you on your turn or in your action for for either offensive capability or won't be there for, for another defense. So there's a lot of resource management in this game, and we're going to get into that uh, quite a bit as we explore the wonderful world of duels but for before we get into that before we get into the combat math uh we want to get into the fate deck itself so if you can open your books and your minds we're gonna go down this rabbit hole together kids all right so if you get in your little book we're gonna be starting at the section that says the fate deck so, for those that are unfamiliar with Weird Miniatures games, uh, the other side is no exception. They use what is called a Fate Deck. It is a 54-card deck. Um, you can use, you could use a standard uh, deck, provided it had two distinct jokers, a red and a black. Uh, the Fate Decks themselves, I recommend definitely getting a, uh, a Weird-style deck. Uh, they're going to have the, the key symbols on them, as opposed to you having to convert... Um, from a standard deck, and most of them are numbered 1 through 13. Uh, so it makes the math a little bit easier because ultimately you're adding these card values to your stat line, uh, plus minus any modifiers. And we'll get into all that to get your final number. So the four suits in a uh, Fate deck are Rams. They're the equivalent of hearts if you're playing along with a uh, conventional deck. Uh, masks, which are diamonds in a conventional deck. They are crows, which are spades uh, in a conventional deck, and tomes, which are clubs, also in a conventional deck. And then there are two jokers, a black and a red. Now, the jokers are a little bit special. Um, they give you a little bit more flavor, and they're very different. So when a joker is flipped off the top of the deck, uh, it may not be cheated. However, if multiple cards are flipped, uh, such as if you have an ability that lets you flip an additional card or... You've seen the flip, and you choose to utilize a tactics token. You can choose either of those two cards, regardless of which Joker is flipped, as your as your card. 
and then the, the, the offending Joker will be discarded. Uh, the black Joker has a value of 0 and has no suits. The red Joker has a value of 14 and has every suit. And something to very much keep in mind in the other side is if you have a suit, uh, if you have, it, it's very good to have multiple suits uh, because sometimes there are multiple triggers that are required. And with the red Joker being one of every suit, uh, it really gives some op it really gives some options and ability to make the most of, of an attack. Uh, and a, a, a value of 14 is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so something to keep in mind there. Uh, additionally, there is a distinction in this game between a card that is flipped and a duel. Flips are going to be part of duels, but not all. Uh, flips are gonna, many, many, duel, many flips are going to be made as part of a duel, but not all flips are duels. So that's important to kind of remember in the, in the delineation of the game. A flip is something distinct. It is actually a game term uh, that is within the rules itself. So you're going to get a control hand, and you're going to have to buy your control hand every turn with tactics tokens. We talked about that in the previous one, but I want to go over the control hand a little bit more. Uh, control hand is made of cards uh, play that the player has drawn from their fate deck. At any time a player draws a card, they are placed into that player's control hand. The maximum hand size is six. So if a player ever has more cards than that in their hand, they must immediately discard down to six cards. A player may look at their control hand at any time, but otherwise the contents of a player's control hand are kept secret from their opponent. It is your, it is from here that you are going to replace cards in duels when you have a modify step, when you are legally allowed to do so. And this replacement uh, is often referred to in the vernacular of weird games, including the other side, as cheating. Uh, you are cheating fate. You are cheating destiny. Uh, you have more control in this game than you do in other games because you get to see some values of your cards and you get to overcome the base luck of the deck if you meet certain criteria. And we'll go over what those are in just a moment. So when we flip cards, cards that are currently in use, i.e. they're part of a duel or part of a flip, are in what are known as conflict. Uh, all information on cards in the conflict is public. And then each player is going to have a discard pile adjacent to their fate deck. Uh, the discard pile is face up and may not be reordered any time during the game. Whenever a card is discarded, it is placed on top of the matching discard pile. In the instance that multiple cards are placed in the discard pile at once, they are revealed to all players before being placed in the discard pile in any order the discarding player chooses. That's important for certain abilities. Um, there is an asset that is available to commanders in, I'm sorry, champions in Abyssinian, or Abyssinian detachments. And with that particular one, it is a handheld recording device that allows you to draw the top card of your discard pile into your hand when you activate that particular commander. So this ability to order your discard pile in any way that you choose is not something to sniff at when you're putting multiple cards from your conflict into there. So, is important to is important to consider and to uh, to think about the, the the placement of those if you have that type of ability. Um, a player may look through a discard pile at any time, but you must please be considerate of the time taken to check discard piles, as your opponent probably wants to get back to the action. So, 
don't be a jerk. Uh, and I'm sure that the tournament document is going to have even more harsh wording in there than that. Um, but you can check the discard pile. You don't want to be doing that constantly. Um, there's only so much limited time in a tournament format, and that is going to get you a slow play pretty quickly if that's something you continually are taking a lot of time doing. Um, so when we flip a card, a flip is required, a player reveals the top card of their fate deck and places it into the conflict uh, to generate a random number and or suit. Flips are used to generate random results. Flip cards are discarded from the conflict after the effect generating them has expired. Uh, flips are typically parts of duels, but do not have to be. Ideally, uh, there are many flips within a duel. And then sometimes you get cheat fate. As we were saying, you take a card from your control hand and replace a card that is in the conflict on your side. Uh, they can choose the card they wish to cheat with and place it in the conflict, discarding the previous card. Cheated cards, do, when, you cheat, when you're cheating fate, it does not count as flipping a card. And you can use tactics tokens to flip an additional card. This is done uh, prior to cheating. And once you have once a once a flip has been cheated or the opportunity to cheat fate has been declined, you have no cards, you don't wish to do it, uh, that player no longer has the opportunity to cheat fate. Alright, flipping and cheating. Some game effects refer to the suit or value of a flipped card. When cheating fate, the, car, the cheated card counts as the flipped card for these effects and these effects only. Alright, so that's that's the fate deck. That's kind of the basics of the fate deck and the control hand. So the next thing I want to get into a little bit is the structure of a duel itself. So you're going to get to take actions in the game, and actions take many forms. Uh, some of them are going to be a simple duel, and some of them are going to be a duel between uh, players. So when you perform a duel, you go through a number of steps. Uh, duels are going to be used to resolve conflicts, and they're going to pit your acting value against another number, typically. Sometimes it'll be a set number on the card. This is what we refer to as like a simple duel. And sometimes it will be a, a acting value on your opponent's side of the side of the table. So the first thing you do to perform a duel is you're going to flip your fate card. So any fire teams that are involved in the duel are going to flip their fate card. So if I have one and you have one and you're my opponent, I'm going to flip a fate card and then you're going to flip a fate card. We're just going to flip that one card um, as per our rules. Then in step two. We're going to see what the other person has flipped. And then as the initiator of the duel, I have my modify step first. And at this point, I have the opportunity to use tokens, uh, Inspired, Shaken, and Tactics, and or Cheat Fate, uh, using the rules that we discussed previously. Uh, players cannot use more than one token of each type in a duel. So in a duel, in a singular duel, you can use one Inspired token, one Shaken token that is on your opponent, and one tactics token, and that is for each of the players involved in the duel. Uh, additionally, you can each cheat fate up to one time. Uh, the player who initiated the duel is 
the one who gets to choose whether to cheat fate and or use uh, any tokens, and they may do so in any order. Then the player who did not initiate the duel, if there's another player involved, may then cheat fate and or use their tokens in any order that they choose. Determining success, players are going to add their flips to their relevant acting values to determine their duel. In a simple duel, uh, if the fire team's duel total equals or exceeds the listed fixed value on there, and these are going to be represented by your, ta your base value versus there'll be a V sign, and then it'll be a fixed number. That is a simple duel. And in an opposed duel, the fire team, which has the higher duel total, wins with its success. In the case of a tie, the acting fire team wins the duel. So as the aggressor, you ha just have to meet their ending number. Uh, or put another way, they, when you set the number as the attacker, the defender has to exceed your number. So if you have a number, you, if you have a total of 11 between your acting value and your final value in the duel, and your opponent has, your opponent then has to get to a 12 total in order to beat you. So that is what an opposed duel looks like, and those are going to be represented by your stat versus, and then it'll tell you what the opponent's acting value is going to be. It's going to tell you their relevant stat. So it could be defense, it could be speed, uh, could be willpower. Then at step four, you're going to declare any triggers. If the attack was successful, the acting fire team may declare any number of trigger, any number of triggers. And what triggers are is triggers are based primarily off of the suits that are on the cards. So when you flip a, when you flip a card, the suit can be very relevant to your dual total. And they're underneath your action, and they will explain exactly what happens when they are triggered, when they are utilized. And when you are flipping, you will also generate margin. And what margin is, margin is the difference between your total value and your opponent's total value. And these can also be triggers, and they're going to be represented by a little circle around a number. And that's going to tell you what a margin is. And there's a powerful attack trigger that everyone has. It's a universal trigger in the game. Uh, that is on a margin of five, you get to plus one the strength of the attack that you're doing. So one of the examples that they give is the Disintegrating Blast. It is an acting value of eight versus defense as a range of ten and a strength of tool. And after winning this duel, you may discard the top 10 cards of your fate deck, and for each ram discarded, increase the strength of this attack by one. And so you want to read through that example. Uh, but basically, going through the duel, uh, we are utilizing Fenton's Disintegrating Blast, he is going to flip a card in the conflict and gets a 2. This 2 is added to the acting value of 8 to give it a total of 10. His opponent flips a 3, which is added to the king's hand defense of 3, uh, giving it a total of 6. I initiated the duel, so I have the opportunity to cheat face first. Already ahead, I've decided not to cheat, and I'm not going to do any additional modification, which means I'm not going to spend any inspiration tokens, and I'm not going to spend any shaking tokens. In order to avoid getting hit, his opponent needs to cheat a card high enough to bring King's Hand dual total higher than 10. 
looks at his control hand and decides that isn't worth doing. So they check the duel. Fenton has a 10 versus the king's hand 6. Because he is higher, he succeeds. He has a margin of 4. So Disintegrating Blast doesn't have any triggers. And Fenton isn't winning by enough. He's only winning by 4 to declare a powerful attack. So he can't declare the powerful attack because it needs a margin of 5. And he only has a margin of 4 because he's only won the duel by 4. Because a 10 minus 6 is only 4. And you need a difference there to be 5 in order to have a powerful attack. So there are no triggers. So special note, when a fire team performs a duel and its duel total exceeds the value it needs, it is said to have achieved a margin value equal to the amount by which its total, its duel total exceeds its goal. So that you can also have uh, these in simple duels. So if you have an acting value of 4 versus a simple duel total of 12, if you get that total up to let's say you flip a 13, 13 plus 4 is 17. You have a dual total of 12. That 17 minus 12, you have a margin of 5. So it is very possible to get margins on simple duels. So they can be on both. So now that the duel has happened, we get to damage. And I want to get into damage a little bit because it is a different series of steps. Um, as it is not a duel, it is a penetration flip. And penetration flips are a little different. So when a fire team is affected by a game effect that has a strength value, even if that strength value is zero, uh, the fire team is considered to have suffered a hit with that strength. When the fire team is hit, the opposing player makes a penetration flip against the fire team. To perform penetration flip, the opposing player flips a card from their fate deck and adds the strength value of the hit to the card's value. So it's very important here that we see this particular term. The opposing player flips a card. A flip is a known game term, which means you have the ability to use a tactics token if you have that to flip an additional card and then choose between the two that are flipped, regardless of the strength of your fire team. So in addition, this flip may not be cheated if the penetration flip is the result of an action performed by a, a fire team with one or more missing models. So you may not cheat, i.e. take a card and replace it from your hand, take a card in your control hand and replace the one in the conflict if you don't have a full strength fire team. So if any of those models are missing from your fire team, you cannot cheat. However, because it is a flip, regardless of the strength of your fire team, you can use a tactics token to flip an additional card. So that is a way to, that's something to consider when you're looking and thinking about the combat math. So let's get in further. If the final value of the penetration flip is less than the hit fire team's armor value, it suffers no damage. Though the action that caused the hit, if any, is still considered to be a success. If the penetration flip is equal to or greater than 
the hit team's armor, then the hit fire team suffers one damage, plus one additional damage for every five points of margin achieved on the penetration flip. So the easiest way that I look at it is this. On a 0 to 4 margin difference, you the enemy fire team suffers one damage. On a difference of 5 to 9, they suffer 2 damage. On a difference of 10 plus, they suffer 3 damage. After fire team suffers damage, one model in that fire team is killed for every point of damage. A killed model is immediately removed from the game. When all models on the fire team are killed, that fire team is considered to be killed and is removed from play along with its base. If all of a unit's fire teams are killed, that unit is killed. Single model fire teams. Some units have single models for their fire team. This means that if a fire team suffers a single point of damage, that entire fire team will be killed. Fortunately, these models tend to have high armor, and assets can, can reduce the damage that they suffer. Uh, the most common ones uh, that you'll see are Titans. Titans are a single model fire team. They are huge. Uh, but they are a single model fire team, but they also have the ability to carry three assets on them. Uh, additionally, you have commanders which have the or you have uh, yeah you have commanders uh, which have the ability to carry two assets on them. Um, so there is some protection for single for single model fire teams. Uh, so that is the basics of a duel, and again. A duel and a penetration flip. So just to recap on a duel, the sequence for a duel is you're in flip fate cards. You're then going to have your modify step. The attacker, the one that's initiating the duel, always sets the number first. They're the ones that always do their modify step first. Then the person that is on the receiving end of that duel does their modifications. Then you determine success, and then uh, triggers are declared. So pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. And then we get into, again, our penetration flip. Penetration flip is any time you're suffering uh, a hit from a strength value. Uh, that strength value, you then flip. So you have an opportunity to spend a tactics token if you are legally able to do so, meaning you have the ability to. Uh, meaning that you have them to spend. And then you may only cheat the penetration flip if the action per was performed by a fire team that has all of its models. If there are any models missing on that fire team, that fire team may not cheat fate, but it may use a tactics token to flip an additional card on the, uh, on the damage. And then it's a very simple... One damage if you equal the armor, but don't exceed it by five. Two damage if you exceed it by five. Three damage if you exceed it by ten. Pretty, pretty simple. Now let's talk a bit about the combat math involved. So we're going to look at an arcane barrage versus the king's hand. And this is the example that they provide uh, in the book itself. So with that, 
it is a strength four hit onto the king's hand. <coughs> so we have had a successful hit with Arcane Barrage. It is a strength four. Uh, king's hand has an armor value of 12. I flip a seven, so I add my strength four to my total of 11, or to my, to my strength of four, give me a total of 11. That is less than King's Hand armor value. Thus, it would be no damage. I am at full strength on my fire team that is doing this, because it is a single model fire team. And I can cheat the penetration flip. I bring in a 10. This brings me to a total of 14. This exceeds the Titan's armor of 12. And I do one damage, because I have not exceeded it by 5. I would need to get to a total of 17, i.e. cheating a 13, because I'm at strength 4, in order to have done 2 points of damage. So the action does 1 damage. The King's Hand is a single model fire team. 1 point of damage would kill it. However, it does have an asset that can be disabled to reduce the incoming damage by 1. So we'll go over reducing damage with assets. Assets, some assets have a disable or scrap rule. These assets can be flipped or removed from the game as appropriate to reduce the damage suffered by the, by the fire team in the attached unit by a certain amount. So what does it all mean? What, is all, what does it all mean for you as a player of the other side? Uh, well, essentially, it means that your attacks are meaningful if you can break the damage threshold on your opposing unit or on your opposing fire team. So just to give a... So let's look at a simple example of the warped doing a twisted claw attack into some Abyssinian Crow Runners. So we're going to look at the twisted claw attack. It is a base attack of 6, so acting value of 6, versus defense. Now, the defense on the Crow Runners, in this instance, is going to be a defense of 5. They have a strength on this attack of 4. On a Ram, they gain Piercing. And on a Crow, they, they give the target a Shaken Token. So, in this particular example... Uh, my, I'm going to be flipping for the warped. Uh, the warped are going to flip a 6. You're going to give them a total acting value of 12 in this particular duel. Uh, it's against the defense of the Abyssinian Crow Runners. They have a base defense of 5. They are going to flip an 8. So they flipped a little bit above average. They're going to be at a 13. So... I, as the acting player, have the first chance to modify this duel. I have no inspired tokens on me, and my opponent has not yet received any shaken tokens. I'm going to go ahead and look at my control hand. 
and determine that I have a 13 of rams, a 12 of crows, and a 7. I'm sorry, and an 8 of rams in my control hand. I'm going to cheat the 8 of rams to get me to 8 plus 6, which is 14, with a tear apart trigger, which means I will gain piercing on the attack. My opponent does not have any cards in hand, so he will be staying at his 8 plus 5, which is 13. Because uh, his defense is 5, he's flipped an 8. He is going to choose not to modify. So I have won the duel. I have a margin of 2. There is no uh, powerful attack here, but I do have a ram from what I've cheated in, so I will immediately gain piercing. So what piercing is, is when you flip your penetration flip, you get to automatically flip an additional card, and then you choose between those two. So I have a strength of four. The Crow Runners have an armor of six. So on a two plus, I'm going to do one damage. On a... Seven plus, I'm going to do two damage. So they have an armor of six. I have a strength of four. Four plus seven would be 11, which is six plus five, which means I'd have a margin of five, which means I'd do two damage. And then if I'm lucky enough to get to a 16 total, i.e., I flip a 12 plus, that's 12 plus four is 16. I would be at 10 plus. I would kill all three models that are on the Crow Runner fire team. So I go ahead, I flip my two cards. It is a 7, and I flip a 10. I have a 12 in hand. So now I have some decisions to make. Do I keep that 12 for either a later defense? Or do I kill off the enemy fire team? So now we can kind of talk about some of the decision points that we have. Um, I still have a 13 in hand. I no longer have that 8. I use the 8. And I still have a 12 in hand. If I use the 12, I eliminate the fire team totally. If I take the 10 that I flipped, I kill 2 of the Crow Runners on the Crow Runner base. I won't have killed the fire team. I'll have just removed two models from it. Means they won't be able to cheat any uh, ensuing damage flips to me. They'd have to spend tactics tokens in order to flip an additional card. Their relevant attacks are at a strength of two. So their potential retaliation isn't as strong as some of the other models in the game. So the question is, do I keep the 12 that is in my hand, to, or do I use that to eliminate this fire team entirely? Well, the answer, like everything else, is going to depend. Um, but there are some considerations to make when kind of doing this combat math. 
that we're going to talk about here. So I have two cards remaining in my hand at present. I've already used one to ensure a hit. My precise is going to give me two damage on this particular fire team. And this is a full strength fire team. Um, I have, we'll say I have no additional attacks from this unit on this Crow Runners. And we'll say the Crow Runners are going to be activating this following. They're going to be likely the next activation my opponent has. So if we consider those things, do you take the 12 and eliminate that fire team entirely? Even though from your flips, you've already seen, uh, you've already cheated in one card into this duel to make sure that it happened. You have flipped two cards on the attack. Both are over. Um, both are over seven. You have an eight and a ten flipped. So your overall deck is a little weaker going forward than you'd hope. So there's two there's two schools of thought here. And this is kind of something I think that the community is going to debate as we go forward. Um, and I don't think that there's a, a fully correct answer, because I think it's going to vary by game, it's going to vary by player, and their tolerations for, for luck and such. So in that instance, if I know going forward my deck is going to be a little bit weaker, but I have high cards in hand, doesn't that give me the best chance to write out any storm that would be on the, the other side of it. Because I can then prevent any real damage coming my way. Even though they're going to have three actions. Versus if I spend the 12, go down to one card in hand, they will have only two actions to potentially use against my squad. So... One of the things that you look at with this is you look at the relevant attack stat and the relevant strength of the retaliation that could occur. So in this instance, they're probably not going to use, they would mean to use their serrated knife because they're so close, or they'd have to disengage. If they use their serrated knife, they have a base attack of 5 versus defense. Our relevant defense as the cult is 6. So we have an automatic advantage over the, uh, the crow runners by 1. So we are beating them naturally by 1 on their swing back. Their swing back is strength 2, and we gain a shaken token. Now, cult units utilize Shaken Tokens very differently than other factions do. Shaken Tokens are typically bad, but for the cult, a Shaken Token is an opportunity to potentially go to glory if you can get a, an additional Shaken Token on you at the same time. So if you ever get to two on you at the same time when there's not an action occurring, you can go to glory. Pretty awesome. Strength of 2, our armor is 7. So what that sets us up for, 
means that if our opponent flips a 5 plus on damage, they're going to remove one of our warped models. So that's a little problematic because there are 54 cards in the deck and there are only 21 cards. Uh, I'm sorry, only 17 cards because there's 1, 2, 3, 4 and the Black Joker and there are 4 of every suit. So 4 times 4 is 16, plus 1 is 17. There are only 17 instances in the deck where they wouldn't at least do one damage to us. So if they hit, and they are disadvantaged to do so, but my deck isn't as strong going forward, they would have three instances to hit me. They would have a better shot to hit me after the first attack, provided it was successful, because of the Shaken token that they could use against me. We'll make the assumption that I don't have a Raving Madman on this unit. So we'll assume a box set versus box set game. So they have the potential, if they have all three of their fire teams, to have a very high deck percentage chance of doing at least one damage with every action that they do to me. And if they spike, if they miss one and spike one, i.e. they do two damage on one of the hits, we'll assume they're going to hit two-thirds of the time based on the fact that they dish out Shaken Tokens on the attack. They have three attacks. They'd have three attacks currently if I let it, let it stay as it is and I don't cheat that 12 to potentially hit me. And thus remove one of my fire teams with those three actions. Now, if I spend the 12, denying them that additional action, they will only have two retaliatory actions against me. And I have a 13 in hand. This means that I only have two attacks coming at me, and again, based on the odds, they will probably hit one and miss one. And even if they spike on strength two, the highest they can generate is a 16, which would be a red joker plus strength two. So 14 plus two is 16. That would still only on the warped remove two models. It would not clear a base. So even if they had a perfect spike on the one attack that hit, if they aced it, if they, got a, if they got the Red Joker on damage, they wouldn't be able to remove the fire team. And so in this instance, I believe the correct play, at least for me, would be to remove the fire team fully by cheating in that 12. So that is, that's kind of the base scenario that we go over in this, but I want to get a little bit even deeper with some of the situations and math that can come up. So let's reverse it. Let's have the Crow Runners now in a different situation, just shooting 
at an unactivated unit of the warped. So in this instance, the warp are going to have a shaken token on them. The crow runners are going to be given a focused effort order, the start of their activation, and they're going to gain an inspired token. So I have an inspired token that the unit can use, and my opponent has one shaken token on them currently. Uh, we are not moving at all, and we're going to use our flashette shotguns into an unactivated unit of the warped. So here we have a few things that we have to keep in mind. Uh, we are an acting value of 5 versus defense. We have, again, strength 2. And we have a margin 4 trigger for pinning fire, uh, where we can give the target a pin token uh, if we can exceed their total by 4. So our opponent has the warped. They are a defense 6. So again, we're at a, a minus 1 to our acting value, essentially, between the two of us. They have a base armor 7. They have not received an order yet this turn, so they're going to be at armor 8. So they are effectively armor 8, which means we need a 6+, plus to do any damage to the unit. And again, they're at a defensive 6. So... We are going to make the assumption that all of our units are in range of all of our opponent's fire teams in terms of the warped. Not always the case. Uh, sometimes you only have one or two that are in range of one, uh, or you may have range to just one fire team. We're going to assume that we have range to all of the fire teams in the warped unit, uh, meaning vice versa that the, all of the warp units have range to us, at least on a rush order, if they were to receive that the following turn. So, our priority is actually going to be not so much in the killing off of fire teams, but in the weakening of our opponent's fire teams. And the reason we're doing this is because of the overall board state. We're going to imagine for a second that just behind us, just out of range of the uh, opponent's fire teams, are some Mahal Safari. Now, Mahal Safaris are base armor 8. Uh, they have a 14-inch gun, and they cost a lot more than the Crow Runners do. They're on par, you know, they're a base 9 unit, base cost 9 unit, the, the Mahal Safari are. So we're going to utilize our Crow Runners to try and inflict as much damage and as much slowing of our opponent as possible. So we're actually going to put a higher emphasis on hitting with the shotgun than we are on the potentially doing damage on the reverse side. So we're going to look at our control hand. We're going to assume that we drew four cards this turn. Uh, we're going to have drawn an 11 of crows. Uh, we're going to have drawn a 5 of tomes. Uh, we're going to have drawn an 8 of rams. And we'll say we have a 9 of 
crows. So a little crow heavy hand doesn't really help us with what we're attempting to do. But we're going to make it work. Uh, we're going to assume that we have three tactics tokens. And again, our intention with this is to not really utilize too many resources unless we can, unless we have a good shot of getting that pin token. Uh, we're going to assume that our opponent has taken three cards in hand and they have four tactics tokens with which to utilize. Our opponent has one shaken token on them. We have one inspired token. So with our first attack, we flip. We target the, the fire team that is nearest to us. There are no line of sight blocking, so there's no cover involved. We're going to flip uh, really well. We're going to flip a 13 off the top. So we are at an 18. And our opponent is going to flip average, and they're going to flip a 7. So they're going to be at a 13. So here is where some math gets interesting and involved. So with flipping a 13, there are a couple things we can do. We can guarantee our hit, and we can guarantee our hit in a number of ways. So we have a total of 18. Our opponent is at a 13. So if our opponent were to have a red joker in their hand or they were to spend a tactics token and flip it off the top, they would go to a 20. But they have a shaken token on them. Alternately, we have a inspired token on us. But... In this instance, it is best to actually utilize their shaken token at this time. The reason for that is several fold. They have flipped 7, they have flipped exactly average. They're to 13. We currently are beating them by 5, meaning we have an option for a powerful attack. We also have the option to instead spend only 4 margin and give them a pin token. Again, reducing the chance of their retaliation against us. Alternately, if we spend the Shaken token, we then open up our ability to get to our glory. Because ours is a margin-based glory. So the, with Eureka. So if I spend the Shaken, I do several things all at once. First and foremost, I ensure that no matter what my opponent does, with the options provided to them, they cannot exceed my dual total. They can only equal it. Additionally, I open up my ability and my threat to go to glory with my unit because I will reduce them by 2 and take them to a total of 11 versus 18, which is a difference of 7. It forces, at that point, in order to stop me getting to glory, they have to cheat in 
a 10. Because I'm sorry, they have to cheat in an 11. Because I'm sorry, I'm at an 18. They're at a 13. I reduce them by two, essentially making their stat acting value four. So four plus seven is only 11. So a difference of seven. They have to get a 10. Sorry, they have, to, they have to get a 9, which will get them to 13. To an acting value total of 13 versus my 18 to stop my going to glory. Which means they have to spend a card that is 2 higher than what is currently on the stack. Additionally, they have to get to an 11 to stop me putting a pin token on my opponent or something that is four higher than what is currently on the stack was currently in the conflict for them so I can guarantee a hit and I can guarantee that they have to flip or they have to either spend a tactics token to potentially flip a higher card or spend a high card from their control hand to stop my margin from going off and they have to really sort of calculate through it additionally I will still have my inspired token available to me if I get a marginally good hit on the next attack so in this instance my opponent is going to look at their control hand and they are going to elect not to do anything so we are going to hit, and we are going to choose to go to glory. And the reason we are choosing to go to glory is our shotguns go from acting value 5 to acting value 6 once we are in glory. So we will use Eureka, and we will go to glory. It is strength 2. We are going to flip our card. We flip a six. So we flip a little less than average, but it is enough for a hit. We kill one model because our total is eight. Their armor is eight because they have not activated yet. We kill one model from that fire team. Second attack. So now we are acting value 6 versus acting value 6. So it is a card off. It's a great situation to be in, particularly with the fact that we still have our inspired token. So we're going to flip our card. Uh, we're going to attack a different fire team. We're going to attack one of the fire teams that is not, or that is, that is not at full strength. So we'll assume this is the middle one. We're going to attack the middle one. We're going to flip a 7. So we, we get a 13 total. Our opponent is going to flip a little poorly. 
and is going to flip a 5. So they're going to be at an 11. So in this instance, I'm going to go ahead and cheat in our 9. You may say, why not cheat in the 11? Well, 11s can potentially kill fire teams um, for, some of your more, for some of your stronger units uh, once you really start getting into the combat. I don't want to spend the high-end resources on attack in this particular instance because I still have my Inspired token, and my opponent hasn't shown me anything out of their three-card hand, and they haven't elected yet to use any of their four tactics tokens. So obviously they have a they have a plan for for them, and it may be in retaliation against against me in this unit. And so what I want to do is mitigate as much of that as possible. Uh, and the way I'm doing that is I'm going to force uh, the opponent to take damage across all of his fire teams. I'm going to hope to get a pin token or two on this particular unit. And because it's still early in the it's still early in the game, still early in the turn, uh, presumably, that I want to do so with minimal investment uh, and minimal risk and still keep my options open because tactics tokens are incredibly powerful as we've discussed. So our opponents can flip a little poorly. They're going to be a 5. Uh, we're going to choose to cheat in the 9 to go to a total of 14 to their 11. They are going to elect to use one of their cheat cards, and they're going to cheat in a 10, and they're going to, to stop the attack. Okay, so the attack is stopped. So now I have my last fire team, last fire team action to go. Uh, in this particular instance. So I have killed one model off, a, off the opposing fire team. The other two are undamaged. So here, I'm going to change just a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to spike on the opponent because I still have the inspired token on the unit. Uh, and that particular unit has the ability to dish out shaken tokens to me. So I want to try and get a pin token on the opponent. Because if I do so, it is going to prevent them getting to uh, the Mahals behind me and, and posing a significant threat to them. So we're going to go ahead and take a shot with our last one. And we're going to shoot the same, we're going to shoot the damaged fire team unit. And the reason that we're going to do that with our last shot is we failed to hit the middle one. And if the middle one had, had done some damage to it, I would have elected to, again, target a, a separate one. But because we didn't do anything with the middle one, because they were able to successfully deflect, I want to try to get a little lucky and do two damage to this particular unit and remove that fire team prior to activation. So we're going to go ahead and do that. We're going to go ahead and flip our card. We're going to get, uh, again, have a little bit of luck. We're going to flip a 10. So we're going to be at a 16. Uh, our opponent is going to flip fairly well. They're going to flip a 9. 
So the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to spend our inspired token. And we're going to spend that inspired token to go up to a total of 18. Because we're at 16 currently. The inspired token gives you plus 2 acting value. So we're going to go to 18. Our opponent is going to be at 15. So we're not going to get that pin token. We're not going to get that lucky. But we are going to force them to be able... We're going to force them to either cheat in a 13 or they're going to have to take the damage. So we cheat in... So they, they elect not to cheat. They're not going to use a tactics token. We go to the damage step. So they have an active value armor of 8. We have a strength of 2. We're going to flip our card. We're going to flip a... We'll flip a 7. So that's total of 9. We have that 11 in hand. We're going to cheat in our 11. 11 plus 2 is 13. 8 plus 5 is 13. That is 2 damage. We remove the opponent's fire team. So in that instance, we spent a shaken token. Or in that, in that entire exchange, over the course of the three attacks, we spent a shaken token. An inspired token. We spent no tactics tokens and we expelled two card resources to remove one enemy fire team with a unit that cost six script into a unit that cost nine script. So we effectively removed three script from the game for two cards and two tokens. Additionally, the token that we used on the Warped prevents them from having gone to glory this particular turn without additional resources on their part. So that's kind of a base example of some of the combat maps you can get into. And some of the things that you want to watch for when you're playing the other side. So I hope the example was helpful. Um, another thing that you want to be very cognizant of is the powerful attack margin trigger. So this is a difference of 5 on your attacks, and it raises your strength by 1. And raising your strength by 1 can be huge. Uh, to sort of illustrate, if you have an armor of 8, and this is something I come back to a lot because I play Mal Safari and they have an armor of 8, so if you have an armor of 8, it requires strength 4 and a red joker in order to ever remove a full strength single base of Mahal Safari. You just you can't do it otherwise uh, because it's strength 8, 8 plus 13... I'm sorry, yeah. 
their their base their base acting value or their base armor is eight, which means you need which means on strength four, the only thing that kills three of them, i.e., gets you eighteen, is a red joker because that's fourteen plus eight. Otherwise, you have to have some tokens in the mix. So unaided, just from the deck, armor eight is very 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 strong and so the only way to actually the only way to break it is with the red joker because you can't use shaken and tactics tokens on penetration flips so meaning powerful attack is critical for your lower strength attacks to do consistent damage and to get additional spike value out of the cards, because then, again, in, the, in that example, if you can get uh, a strength four attack with a, with a powerful attack trigger, all of a sudden you get to strength five, and strength five means on a thirteen, armor eight evaporates, it takes out three three units at armor three. Three uh, models off a fire team at armor eight. If you have strength five, and you can flip a thirteen, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's that's power, and that makes you really reevaluate how you are valuing your high value high value cards compared to some other games. Because you're going to hit more often than not, but you have greater assurance of damage in the other side than you do in other games. Um, there are a lot of ways to make sure that your damage sticks. And the damage is very important to winning the game. Uh, some would say critical. I would I would often say critical to how how the game is going to going to be won. And so you have to really think about and ma manage and maneuver your inspiration to your inspired tokens, your shaken tokens, and when you're going to utilize those tactics tokens, you have to pay attention to your deck versus your opponent's deck, this flip versus the flips that are to come, because every time you expend a resource, it's a resource that you don't have on the opposite side. So if I spend all of my high cards on attacks, it means I'm going to ultimately have less attacks coming to me. But I'm going to have a little harder time defending because I've utilized those good resources only on the offensive. And I have not utilized those resources to defend my stuff. And so I can potentially become a little more glass cannony than I even want to be, even if I have good, strong stats. So it's all things you've got to consider and balance while you're playing the other side. And it's really what makes the game from a combat situation incredibly intriguing. Because you're going to, you're going to have these resources, and you're going to have to manage them over the course of five turns to do all kinds of incredible things, to be able to put yourself in a situation where at the end of the game you have more victory points than your opponent does. And 
that kind of back and forth and the fact that there is such an action economy uh, that you have to deal with and you have to think about and resources are changing and switching moment to moment that this kind of amalgamates and creates situations where it changes the timing of your attacks it changes the the timing of when you want to defend things when you don't want to defend things when you want to utilize your hand when you don't want to utilize your hand sometimes you have situations where do i lose this unit this turn in order to gain this victory point or do i go after this victory point this turn and instead trade this unit for it because it's either i utilize this resource to save this unit or i utilize this resource to score this victory point and Sometimes that decision actually should have been you kill the you use the resource to save the unit as opposed to use that resource to to have scored that point because ultimately that unit would have scored you two points down the line as opposed to the one that you scored during that time but it's always always a risk and always a a give and a take and it's about understanding your margin triggers. Uh, immensely because it's it's something that you just don't have in other games for the most part is this emphasis on how much you are winning the attack by now there's some of it in Malifaux and I won't I won't disagree that there's some of it in Malifaux but it's it's taken to such an extreme in the other side and I really like that it is primarily because Additional flips are rare, and there is no such thing as a negative flip. Uh, there is only a straight up, there's only um, an additional flip. There are no positive flips, there are no negative flips. There's only an additional flip, and in that instance, when you have an additional flip, you get to pick one card or the other. No, no forcing you to take the higher card or forcing you to take the lower card. It is whichever of those two is most advantageous to you at that time when you flip an additional card. So when you're, when you're considering those things, it really does change how you look at the game from a math perspective. Um, additionally, you can have up to a, a plus four swing on most attacks, provided you have, you're attacking something that has a shaken token on it and you have an inspired token on the unit that you're attacking with. So that means you can manipulate the duel by four. Um, in that instance, you would have the inspired token. You'd spend the inspired token. Your opponent would have the shaken token. You would spend the shaken token on the unit that is being attacked on that particular attack, and you have plus two'd your total, minus two'd your opponent's total, giving you a total additional margin of four before any additional cards are flipped, before your opponent does anything else, they have they're contest they're trying to overcome an additional four point swing. And so those swings can be huge and it's something to really look at uh, while you're playing. It's something that's very scary about having uh, shaken tokens on you. Uh, because how quickly and easily your opponent can can be in range and activate that focused effort and get that inspired token and all of a sudden you're dealing with 
a difference of four. Uh, and that, that difference of four can be can be devastating. I mean, that turns a ten into a red joker. I mean, that's that's what it does. And it turns an eleven into a fifteen. It turns a twelve into a sixteen. It turns a thirteen into a seventeen. And it turns a red joker from a fourteen plus to an eighteen plus before anything else is is determined. That's just off the flip and just off of the fact that you can swing a margin by four points. That's huge. That's that's devastating. That just means like if in the instance where the uh, where the warped are attacking the uh, the crow runners. You're dealing with uh, if they have a, a if the warped have an inspired token and the crow runners have a shaken token. Off of the bat, you can guarantee a powerful margin trigger as long as everything else flips equally. If you both flip the exact same if you both flip the exact same card numbers, or even if the opponent flips one higher than you. You are virtually at a powerful margin trigger automatically. And that that's incredibly powerful. I mean, that's taking your strength 4 attack and bringing it up to a strength 5. And that just means you're ripping apart things so easily. Um, strength 5 in this game is no joke. Um, strength 4 is incredibly strong. Strength 3 is, is right around average, and you, and you feel good spikes with that. And you'll you'll be averaging one to two damage pretty regularly at strength three. Strength two, you feel real weak. Strength two, you you feel uh, like you gotta expend yourself in order to to do some damage, and you really should because I mean a strength two attack is supposed to represent not a more of a harassing style attack, not a overly lethal attack. Strength three is kind of your base battlefield lethality. Strength four, you're starting to get into dedicated anti-personnel, anti-armor weaponry. Strength 5 plus, I mean, you're dealing almost exclusively with Titan Killers, uh, those type of things, and that's that's when you really start to feel the heat on anti-personnel. Uh, you know, and if you, can get, if you can get these margins, you own the game, and that's what I want you to start thinking about while you're playing this game, uh, while you're thinking about this game, while you're reading through the rules, is... Everything that you're doing, all those duels that you're going through, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to is to win the game via getting more victory points. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to make sure that your opponent doesn't have as many actions against you uh, to stop you from completing, for to compete with you getting your victory points done. And so, unit removal, fire team removal. Consolidation, all of those things, all of the good parts of, of a good large-scale war game are right here. And there's a very interesting back and forth, very interesting duel uh, that goes on as you go through the combat math associated with it, and you start thinking about margin triggers, you start thinking about your triggers, you start thinking about, and then you start thinking next level about how do I prevent my opponent's backswing from overtaking me because it's all fine and good to start using the resources using the resources to try and annihilate your opponent but if you 
are utilizing all of your resources on attack and some of those attacks aren't completing and aren't hitting fully you're opening yourself up to such a retaliatory backswing that that backswing can sometimes be game altering and game crushing for you and so it's something to keep in mind as you play so I want you to keep that in mind and I want you to remember as always uh, the next time you have a tactics token you can make a coordinated strike.